Good morning. Serenity is the state of being calm, peaceful, and untroubled. Serenity is compelling. All of us are looking for it. I guess that's why the serenity prayer is so compelling. Serenity is also elusive. Serenity is, is tough to find and even harder to keep. Um, during the week, this place seems serene, the, the campus that we exist on. So every once in a while, you'll see people, they'll drive up and they'll sit by the lake and they'll walk around and just try to experience the peace and serenity that's here. The Garden of Eden was also a place like that, I imagine. I've never been there. but um, Even there, though, interestingly, in a perfect world, serenity slipped away. Uh, the serpent was able to introduce doubts into God's, about God's character that was, that was able, these doubts relative to God's character, caused Eve, then Adam, to question God, whether he was really good and whether they, he really would be able to take care of them. And so those questions being surfaced, they said, well, you know, it'd be nice to have the wisdom of the tree and the fruit looks good to eat. So interestingly, serenity was the first casualty of the doubts that were created by calling God's character into question. Even before Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, serenity had already been siphoned off. The entrance of sin was preceded by the exit of serenity. How do we find the serenity that we're looking for? And if we find it, how do we keep it? The serenity prayer was written in a time of global war. It was written by a pastor from Massachusetts whose name was Reinhold Niebuhr. And he wrote it in the middle of World War II. He was a German pastor, which wasn't all that hot when we're at war with Germany in the middle of World War II. Uh, but in the summer of 43, he wrote this prayer, which was kind of, it, it, it really resonated at the time. And it was used in the war uh, by, by many soldiers. Um, the original text of the prayer is this. God, give us the grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed. Courage to change the things which should be changed. And the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. Living one day at a time. Enjoying one moment at a time. Taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Um, actually, Mark and I are going to be dealing with this series. Uh, he'll be up next week. I'm taking a trip back east, and so Mark will be up, and then we'll be switching back and forth. Hopefully, we haven't said anything. So we'll be dealing with this prayer phrase by phrase. The, what we're going to talk about today is the very beginning. God, give us the grace to accept with serenity.
the things that cannot be changed. And so when we think about serenity, the search for serenity begins with facing things that cannot be changed. And it has the sense then, something that cannot be changed is something that you want to be changed. So there's circumstances in your life that you'd rather didn't exist, but they do exist. You'd like to change them, but you can't. You don't have the feelings you want to have. You don't have the relationships you want to have. You don't have the finances you want to have. The search for serenity begins at facing these things which we would change if we could, but we can't. And that's where this prayer begins. God, give us the grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed. Um, It's one thing to experience serenity when we have what we want to have, do what we want to do, think what we want to think, and feel what we want to feel. It's easy to be serene when we have, think, do, and feel what we want to have, do, think, and feel. It's quite another thing to experience serenity when we don't have what we want to have, when we don't do what we want to do, when we don't think what we want to think, and we don't feel what we want to feel. That's a different deal. Again, in the original prayer, we notice that the edited version, which is still very powerful, but in the original version, it's not God give us serenity. It's in the original version, it's God give us the grace to accept with serenity the things which cannot be changed. It's a little bit different asking for serenity than it is asking for the grace to accept with serenity things that cannot be changed. What's the difference between those two when you think of it? What is different between asking for serenity and asking for the grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed? Asking for serenity, I certainly understand that. Serenity is a feeling. All of us would like to feel serene. But what the prayer asks us to ask God for is not for a feeling of serenity, but the original prayer, God, give me the grace to accept with serenity things which cannot be changed. It's really asking God in light of the fact that I don't have what I want to have and I don't do what I want to do and I don't think what I want to think and I don't feel what I want to feel. And when I don't have, do, think and feel those things, it makes me feel agitated. That's natural to feel agitated. So the prayer is in light of the fact that I feel agitated, God, would you give me the grace to accept with serenity things that naturally make me agitated, but supernaturally, perhaps you can give me the ability to accept with serenity these things which make me agitated naturally. Would you agree? That's the only thing better. The only thing better than a contentment that comes when I have what I want is a contentment that comes when I don't have what I want. That's more powerful. That's what the serenity prayer is about. Um, The grace God gives enables us to accept with serenity unwelcome feelings and unwanted circumstances. Here's the question we have to ask this morning, and we'll answer it two ways. Who does God give 
the things that lead to serenity. Who does he give them to? A couple things. God gives grace to the humble. Look what it says. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. In the prayer, it says, God give us grace to accept with serenity the things which cannot be changed. And here we find that God does give grace, and we learn that God gives grace to the humble. In order to experience serenity, we need to experience grace. In order to receive grace, we need to experience humility. The process of humility is outlined in the Bible. It's possible to be humbled and humble, but it's not very pleasant. Look what it says. It's a verse we look at, we've looked at before, but it describes how God led them in the wilderness for 40 years. And here's what it says. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The process God uses to develop the humility that receives grace, that catalyzes serenity, and it seems it suggests a couple things. Caused them to hunger, fed them with manna, which neither they nor their fathers had known, taught them that to depend on God, literally to depend on everything that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Um, What's hunger? Hunger is a built-in alarm system that alerts you, alerts us to the presence of needs that If we ignore these needs, it will prove fatal at some level. That's what hunger is. Hunger is not a bad thing. So the thing that God does, he causes us to hunger. How would that work? How would God cause you to hunger? Well, what he might do is cause, well, what he would have to do, either remove the ability to get food or remove the ability either to get it directly or remove the money that will allow you to get food. But if you don't have food, you're going to be hungry. Hunger is a natural need. And what God does when he develops humility is he interrupts the supply chain. He he causes us to be in a place where we can't get what we need. And that's the first thing. He causes us to hunger. That a pleasant thing? It's It's not pleasant. God gives grace to the humble, but the process of learning humility is not pleasant. The path to serenity doesn't feel very serene. It leads to serenity, but it goes through difficulty. He causes us to hunger, then feeds us in unexpected ways. They had never experienced manna. Literally, manna is, what is it? That's it. These, this dew it occurred on the ground, and it was kind of a bready kind of thing, and they ate it, and it tasted kind of sweet. And they said, manna, what is it? That's what manna is. What is it? Literally, in Hebrew, what the heck is this? Uh, so he caused them to hunger, then he fed them in an unexpected way. Why would he do that? Why did he do that? <laughs> it seems, then, that 
Everything comes from God. Paychecks come from God. Food comes from God. You know what else comes from God? Words come from God. And it seems when we have what we need, when we have everything we want, the fact is we don't tune God in as carefully. Would you agree with that? When we are struggling, when we are experiencing difficulties, those are the times we tend to tune God in. And so what God does, he causes us to hunger and feeds us in unexpected ways in order that we would learn to depend not just on the food and provisions he gives, but on the words he speaks. And this seems to be the, 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 the road or the the way God develops humility, there's hunger, which leads to humility, which leads to hearing. Hunger, humility, hearing. And what that means, if we are going to learn to tune God in, we are going to find ourselves facing things that we don't want to experience, things that we would want to change if we could, but we can't. And because we can't, have those things that we want. We have to learn, how do I approach God and be honest with him and trust him at the same time? Um, God gives grace to the humble. That's one of the, the, I think, the truths for this morning when we thank God, give us grace to accept with serenity the things which cannot be changed. And so, with respect to grace, God gives grace to the humble. Grace is something that you, we're going to need if we're going to learn to accept with serenity things that cannot be changed. That makes sense? We're going to need grace. And the process of receiving grace involves being exposed to difficult circumstances in an ongoing way. And again, that's both good news and bad news. It's bad news if we expect that the path to serenity is going to be easy. It's good news if you are in a place where you're disturbed, you don't have what you want, and you're troubled by it. It's hard. You're disappointed. You might think that you have been kind of left behind, that when God is involved in somebody's life, he lets them have what they want. But that's not the truth. The good news is, if you're in a place where you're struggling, that seems to be the road on which God teaches his children serenity. It's not an easy road. But it is the road, well, it's the road that Jesus walked, isn't it? Difficulty, difficulty, difficulty. You know what Jesus learned in the midst of difficulty? That God was with him. And he ended up developing a, a serenity that allowed him to believe that God was with him, even in something difficult. Huh? God gives grace to the humble. Also, God gives strength to the weary. Look at what Paul says. I have learned to be content. Contentment here. It's kind of like serenity. It's the sense of having enough. That's what contentment means, enough. It's 
not too much. I'm not swimming in great stuff, but I have enough to get me through today. That's what Paul experienced. Um, I have learned to be content. I have learned to have enough, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. It's interesting to me, we have to learn to be content. We don't have to learn to be discontent. You know, and those parents, you know, the kids don't have to learn to be discontent. It kind of comes from the wiring, it seems. It's, It's automatic. You don't have to teach a kid to complain, do you? No, honey, that's not what you're supposed to do when you don't get what you want. You're supposed to cry. Now, let's practice crying. Let's, pra- let's practice stomping our feet. No, don't smile and don't thank me that you don't have what you need. No, you don't have to teach a kid to complain. That comes with the DNA. Um, uh, it, it's being content. He's, Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content. Um, I know what it is to have plenty. I know what it is to have want. You know where Paul learned to be content? By being on a road where he had enough, and then he didn't. And then he did, and then he didn't. An unexpected road. You know what the wilderness is like? Very unexpected. That's what the wilderness... I've told you this before, that the wilderness is where he teaches humility and where he teaches his children to receive not only grace, but strength. The thing about the wilderness, it's completely unpredictable. You know, it's desert. And so you're walking through the desert, and interestingly, the, well, maybe interestingly, uh, there's the, uh, the Red Sea that they walked through on dry land is right on the borders of the wilderness. So what ended up happening... They walked through the Red Sea on dry land, and that was a water experience. You know, there was walls of water on the right and the left, and they walked right through the middle of these things. And they were in a place that they could see God's provision. I mean, if there's walls of water on the right and the left, you're not going to call God's presence into question, are you? I mean, it's pretty clear. We have experiences like that. You might have had some experiences where God seemed really close, miraculous experiences, experiences where it was, it was there, and there was this, and then God did this, water experiences. You know the thing about the wilderness, the Red Sea, is right on the borders of the wilderness. And so what ended up happening two to three days after they walked through the Red Sea on dry land, They were in a place where they were without water, and they thought they were going to die. That's the thing about the wilderness. You you can get to a place where there's plenty, but then you can get to a place where there's nothing there. Then in the wilderness, they're in the middle of these desert places. There's these oases, or wadis. So all of a sudden, in the midst of this place, there's water. That's the thing about a wilderness. It's very unpredictable. The deal with the wilderness is... God, when he leads his children into the wilderness, he only leads his children into the wilderness. This is the deal. God never led someone he didn't love into the wilderness. Never. That's only for a son and a daughter. 
And you know what God does by leading a son or a daughter into the wilderness? He causes them to hunger, feeds them in an unexpected way, teaches them to tune him in. If you are going to reflect God's words to somebody else, because that's what God wants sons and daughters to do. He wants sons and daughters to reflect his words to others. If you are going to be someone who takes his words in deeply, you are going to go through places where you're going to be caused to hunger and fed in an unexpected way. And you're going to learn to tune what you already have. And you can will continue to tune God's words in. And then when somebody comes to you with a struggle, you're going to have something to tell them, something real, because you've experienced it. God only leads sons and daughters into the wilderness. Um, the to give God gives strength to the weary and means that um, we're going to go through things that are wearying. It says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. This test is used to support getting what we want. It's almost, it's like with a fifth, I can do all things who gives me strength. I can rule, but that's not the sense of the text. The sense of the text is, I can do all things through him who gives me strength, even walk through a dry place. When there was water on one day and then the next day, it's gone. I had more than enough. And then it evaporated. That's, I can do all things through, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Uh, the only thing better, again, than a contentment that comes on the far side of getting what we want is a contentment that doesn't rely on getting what we want. It describes their attitude um, when they were going through the wilderness. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Um, difficulties, when we experience difficulties, there's questions that we ask. This is what the Israelites asked. Um, why do you say, O Jacob, and complain to Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? If we don't have what we want, we assume one of two things is true. Either he's unaware or he doesn't care. He's unaware. My way is hidden. You know, I'm, I'm dealing with this absence of what I need, and God must be asleep. Or he's too busy dealing with people better than me. So he must not be aware. Or if he is aware, he doesn't care. You know, he sees it, but he goes, you know, tough break. And that's what the Israelites were saying when they experienced need, when they experienced hunger and thirst and the things that would allow them to experience grace and strength, the things that would teach them, allow them to receive grace and strength. They were looking at the things they were experiencing and they were saying, God must have forgotten about us. And he, or he, if he, if he's aware of what we're dealing with and he just doesn't care enough to do anything about it. Um, it says, do you not know, have you not heard? He is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired and weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power 
of the week. Um, there's something that happens in challenging times. It describes it. It's, it's likened to the way an, a mother eagle teaches its young eaglets to fly, is what it says. In a desert land, he found him. In a barren and howling waste, he shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them on his pinions. The Lord alone led him. No foreign god was with him. The eagle does three things, stirs up the nest, hovers, hovers over its young, and spreads its wings to catch them. In your worship folder, there is a, an article from 40 Days with the Ten Commitments. To close, I'm going to read through that. And follow along with me. Text is from Isaiah 40. Verse 30, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak, dismissed and disregarded. When the prophet Isaiah opened his mouth to speak, he was addressing people who felt abandoned by God. Tough crowd. My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Either God is unaware of our plight or he knows about it, but doesn't care enough to do anything about it. This is what they thought. And they were tired of his lack of responsiveness to their needs. The Red Sea days were distant memories. Miraculous crossings had been replaced by foreign invasions. Water experiences in which God's power was visible had been replaced by wilderness experiences in which it was invisible, dismissed, disregarded, tired weary. What does God say to people who feel this way? What does God say to people who feel forgotten? He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. God encouraged them. He did not scold them for being tired. Neither did he excuse them from needing to persevere. He encouraged them to hope in him so that they might renew their strength. Strength would cause them to soar on wings like eagles. Weariness is the problem. Weariness is the problem. Tired. Strength is the need. Strength is the ability to keep going when you're tired. And hope is the solution. Great. So if we feel dismissed, disregarded, tired, and weary, all we need to do is add hope in God to our to-do list. That seems like adding another bag of groceries to someone whose arms are already full like giving someone who was already tired something else to do, where exactly are we to find this hope? How do we hope in God? God has to teach us how to hope in him. Learning to hope in God 
takes time. Learning to hope in God is like learning to fly. When God teaches us to hope in him, he is like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them on his pinions. When an eagle stirs up the nest, it causes stones and sticks to poke through the fur that blankets the nest. The eaglet is disturbed, uncomfortable. The eagle then creates a commotion and tips the nest. Since the nest is located on a cliff, the eaglet is now airborne. But it doesn't know how to fly yet. The eagle hovers over its young, watching it fall, but not rushing in right away. When the time is right, the eagle swoops down, spreads its wings, and carries the eaglet to safety until the next flying lesson. This process continues until the eaglet's wings are strong enough to enable it to soar. God stirs up our nest. The sticks and stones of uncomfortable days disturb us. We encounter turbulent circumstances. We feel dismissed by him, disregarded by him. God hovers over us as we pass through these circumstances. He swoops in and carries us, all the while teaching us to trust him, teaching us to use hope to renew strength. God has not abandoned you. God has not abandoned you. God has not abandoned you. He is hovering over you. Come on up for a closing song. Thanks, Brian. Father, thank you for uh, your promises. You give strength to the weary. You give grace to the humble. Grace and strength are those divine gifts that promote serenity, the ability to accept with serenity things that cannot be changed. And you teach us to accept and receive your grace and your strength by putting us in situations where we're humbled and weary. Not an easy road, but one that's beneficial long-term, not only for ourselves or others. Would you teach us to tune in your words and hope in you when we are weary and tired? Teach us to trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.